we're switching topics, um, and uh, next week, having a guest visitor, I'm going to use this week to set up next month. Um, we are going to be doing a series on the names of Christ, continuing in that series, but specifically that are leading up to Passover, uh, the um, some of the, the different names that directly deal with his death and resurrection. In Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 26 through 35, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, and uh, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert place, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasure. He came to Jerusalem to worship, and he was going back, sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? He invited Philip uh, to come up and sit with them. And the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. So like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken from him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from his earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, let me ask you, who is this man talking about? Is he talking about himself or some other man? So Philip opened his mouth and, beginning with this scripture, preached Jesus to him. I have always liked this passage for a number of reasons. Uh, one of those is the idea here that he begins where the man is at. And I've always I've noticed that. And, and he, he just takes the man where he's at and says, this is how I'm going to preach Jesus. You know, uh, when, when we get into the Word, and the more you know uh, the Scriptures, and, it's, you know, what I remember, uh, it, you know, in Bible college, not so trained, you know, and, and we, would, we would go, you know, through various classes and various studies. These are various methods that people use. And, and you kind of were stuck on certain methods that you use. You know, we talked a couple of weeks about the, the Jewel Miller film strips. That was a method. Right? And we went through all these different methods because it wasn't really, I didn't really know the scriptures great. I didn't, I didn't really know, and, and, and even less than that, I, I didn't have the experience with people. Uh, but, but the more you know, the more you can take a person where they're at and, and just begin and teach Jesus to them. And I, and I like that. He, he begins, this is where the man was at. The man was in Isaiah. And so he begins there in a very confusing passage in, in many places, in many different ways. And he teaches Christ to him. I like also that it says that he preached Christ to him. And that's been kind of the, the idea that we've been going through, is that he doesn't just preach to him about Christ. Do you notice that? He preached Christ. He didn't preach about Christ. There's a difference between, as we've said, knowing information about Jesus and being able to recite facts and, and, and things from Jesus' life and things that he did, and this is the places he went, and this is the miracles he did, and there's, there's that, but, but he didn't just teach to him facts about a man who lived that this man had no connection to. 
He preached Christ. He said, I want you, when, when, whenever we part ways here up the road, I want you to have a, 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 a connection to Christ that you don't have. I've always wondered what happened to this man as he, he left. They didn't have, you know, they didn't sit down and have all these Bible studies. They didn't have, what did he leave them with? I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew this, the story. There's, there's, there's uh, accounts of a, a, what, in fact, when you, when you hear in the news, they'll talk about uh, Coptic churches in Africa being burned down. There are some people that will, and I don't know if this is accurate, trace those Coptic churches all the way back. They've existed for a very long time. And some of them will attempt to trace them back to this man. I don't know if I can do that. I know there is a very early presence of churches in Africa, of Christianity in Africa. And this is the first person we know going down with the gospel. I believe it's, it's at least uh, plausible that whatever he was taught here so impacted him in this brief moment of time that, that he took something permanent, a relationship. He was not just taught, taught facts about Jesus, but he was taught Jesus. This passage meant something. So I want to turn to this text. Before we read Isaiah 53, though, I want to point out one other thing from, from the, the book of Acts. You notice that this was personal. The question was personal. And there's one phrase that stands out. It's a phrase that I don't even know how to answer. It's one of those confusing parts of this, of this whole chapter. Um, in Isaiah, but, but the one part, here's a, here's a eunuch, here's a man who has no family, no chance to have a family. And, uh, and the part that grabs his attention is very personal. He, he kind of connects with Jesus. It says, who will declare his generation? I think the, the idea is, is, who is there coming after him? That affected this man. He identified, he didn't really know what this chapter was about. He didn't really know what the person was, this Isaiah person. Was he writing about himself that he was talking? But this impacted him. There was this, this connection that he had with whoever the subject of Isaiah 53 was. So we're going to turn to Isaiah 53, and we're going to read. That's not a long chapter, but it's too long to fit up there. So we're just going to have to do this the old-fashioned way. No technology. And I'm going to be between you guys. I'm going to be reading from the New King James. <laughs> Who has believed our report? Who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He, has this, he is despised. Rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. However, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, taken from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. And he shall see a seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressions, or for the transgressors. One phrase out of here, the one title. Many descriptions of this man, but, but one title in verse 3, he's called the man of sorrows. What a picture. You can count it how you want. This is my count. That there are 48 different references in this chapter to suffering of some kind. These are the only ones that are repeated. That's a lot of suffering. To come up with 42 unique ways to describe a man's sorrow, a man's grief, that is a lifetime of suffering. The man of sorrows. We don't have time to go through them one by one. So what we're going to do is just kind of, kind of group them together, some similarities. So we want to know, first of all, know the sorrow of the man. Know his suffering. And it falls under several categories. And the first one is the fact that we very, the very beginning of this, what probably hurt him, I don't know if it hurt him the most, but, but the suffering that comes from the father's role in all of this. To hear him with, uh, among his final words on the cross, what really, what really drew his passion out and his emotion out was that it felt that the Father had abandoned him. Yeah, I, I know I've got two guys over here, and this guy doesn't really like me. This guy kind of came around. But to feel the Father, to feel that grief... That had to be, I think, the greatest impact on his sorrow. We do need to understand that when it says it pleased God or satisfied him, it's not talking about a happy emotion. 
This is more like satisfying an, a, a requirement to fulfill a need. It, it did not make God happy at any point in time to do this. But the connection to the Father in his suffering is unavoidable. And I don't have the time to consider the Father's role exactly in everything. But this had to be done. And it's the numerous statements in here that are devoted to what the Father had to do. Let's move on. Because there's more suffering. There's obviously the physical suffering. And it is interesting that aside from the specific references to the death, we don't see a lot of references to the lifetime of physical suffering. We know that he experienced it. We know that there were numerous assassination attempts on his life. But really, what's interesting to me is that this is not where Isaiah dwells. He could have. I'm sure that in the, in the Gospels, they only very briefly touched on this. If we knew from one day to the next the physical things that he went through. He could, he could have spent a whole chapter on that, but he doesn't. He was afflicted and he was oppressed. That's not. The, the, the life and the difficulties of his life, we, we get so caught up in the difficulties of our lives. Right? The, the, the things that happen to us on a daily basis, we get so caught up. And yet with Christ, that was the minority. That was the smallest thing that he ever went through, was the physical daily suffering. In his mind, there were things that were so far worse that's where Isaiah dwells on. The emotional suffering was, was far worse, as we can see, to the number of ways that it's described, pouring out his soul. Acquainted with grief. Grief was his friend. He was acquainted with grief. He's like, I kind of want grief to be an occasional visitor. He was acquainted with grief. Talk about the, the situations. He was like a tender plant. You don't think of Jesus as a tender plant, do you? Growing up in dry ground, growing up in these difficult situations. You don't, do you think of Jesus as a tender plant? I don't. I think it's mm, flipping tables. Let's go flip some tables today. We picture Jesus as a tender plant. He was acquainted with grief. He went through a lot of emotional things. He knew our difficulties because he experienced them. There's, a, there's more. And, and we start to get into what he really experienced. Talk about how he was received. How was he received? We like to be liked. I like to be liked. I don't like people not to like me. Imagine what it was like to be the creator of the universe, to come down and to be rejected. To, to take on a form. God says, okay, here's the plan. You're going to go down and you're going to have an appearance that 
really isn't like you at all. In fact, it's so far opposite that, that people will be kind of disgusted by you. Jesus was not a pretty guy. I don't know what he looked like, but he was not a pretty man. Did not have long golden locks. Nice white face. He had no beauty that we would go, wow, I want to be near that guy. Nope, that's not how you're going to accomplish this. That men would hide their faces. He would be despised. Imagine being despised by your own creation. But there were different stages even of this reception because it went to people who started and said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll hold on to this. This guy's got stuff to say. And we we kind of we like this and, and we're, we're along for it and we're going along with it. And now, wait a minute. Now it's getting personal. Or... or, or Okay, I've been doing this, but there are these other things that I would like to be a part of, and I'm kind of having difficulty, and I kind of want to go my own way. Yeah, it was good, it was kind of neat, but I couldn't quite commit all the way. And so we add to that sorrow because we're so close. And he says, well, you were there and couldn't quite. You were, you were almost enough, Christ, but not quite what I needed. We didn't respond the way we should have. We should have jumped in with both feet, but couldn't quite. Men rejected him and dismissed him. Rationalizing it away with this great advantage right in front of us, the Creator came and we decided to pursue our own dreams. That's really what they are, by the way. They are just dreams. The things that you think are tangible, the things that I go, this is it. They are dreams. Men chase their own dreams. We've all turned to our own way, our own thoughts, our own... And we chase what is not reality. And this must have multiplied the sorrow. There's more descriptions in here. And as we go through these final descriptions, I want to just turn the page a little bit. Because once we've, uh, we, we talk about the end, that's where we see a lot of physical descriptions. Not so much in the life, but in the death. Because he came to die. To know the sorrow, we have to understand the real sorrow. That he was cut off from the land of the living. And all those references throughout here. 
In fact, when you go through this, you can see some of the specific events. Isaiah is so clear on the suffering that he, you see the, the picture of the, of the scourging. You see the picture of these different stages of all of this. This crucifixion. That we see him taken from prison. Delivered to judgment, we see him before, in Isaiah, you can see him before Pilate, you can see him before Herod, you can see him before Caiaphas. As we go through Isaiah 53, interesting, written 700 years before it ever happened, and here it is. But the greatest sorrow and tragedy is this disparity between the man and what really happened. That's the great tragedy in this whole thing is that here's an innocent man on a cross. A cross was a, a criminal execution. A sign above the cross typically was worded with the crime you committed. So if you were a murderer, it would say murderer. If you were, you know, if, if you were a rebel, whatever the thing was that you had done, inciting riots, that would be there. Right above. So everyone could see what you were being executed for. And Christ was executed for being the king of the Jews. That's what he was. And just to make clear, they, they put it in a bunch of languages so everybody would know. This is why he died, for being innocent. He is dying for being innocent. That's why we're putting him to death. He was numbered with transgressors. Put up there with a bunch of criminals. The great injustice. What a great, great tragedy. He is the man of sorrows. And how he responds to it. How did he respond to it? He opened not his mouth. Why didn't he open his mouth? How many times do we, we see in the Gospels that Christ would be presented with an argument and he would answer it and they would walk away? Again and again and again. Christ is one of the few people that has that ability. I, I've known people that are good debaters and like, I know I'm right. I know I'm right. And he still beat me. Christ had the ability to walk out of Caiaphas' house. A free man. If he wanted to. Simply by speaking. That's how good he was. He was so good... They would send people to take him on numerous occasions. And those people came back and said, we never heard a guy talk like that before. What? I sent you to arrest him. Yeah, I know, but I've never heard someone talk like that before. <laughs> That's how good he was. Christ had to be quiet so that they could get him on the cross. If he opened his mouth, it wouldn't have happened. 
Imagine knowing that you could defend, successfully defend your innocence and go free and not do it. What an internal struggle that must have been. What a, what a great sorrow that must have been. So, I want to now know the man of sorrows. And first of all, to do that, to, to get acquainted, to have not just the knowledge about Christ and about his sorrow, but to know the sorrow. We have to understand his motives. And his motives, first of all, his primary motive was sin. And there are numerous references in Isaiah 53 that bring us to that. That's the primary motive. In all of this suffering, and everything he did was for sin, was for iniquity, was for transgressions. Right? He bore the sins of the many. That's what this is for. Know the motives. The resolution of our past is what separates Christianity from all other religions. All other religions have a, have a code. What you should do, what you should not do. But I don't really know of any world religions that teach this is how to get rid of the guilt from the past. They just teach you how to go forward from where you're at. Good, I know how to go forward being guilty. That doesn't help the guilt. Christ is the only one that came to deal with my past. And so we can't deal with your future until we deal with your past. Christ came to deal with my past. So the secondary motives... That is incorrect up there. The references are correct. He came to deal with the causes and effects of my sin. In other words, for me to be acquainted with the Savior, this man of sorrows, to really know what it means to be connected to the man of sorrows, I kind of need to understand a little bit about myself. I need to know what is causing these problems. He's borne my griefs, the consequences of my actions. I deal with things, so many of the things that we deal with, we deal with the things, the sins that we do are because we're trying to figure out how to deal with problems that we have. And we come up with strange ways to deal with these things. And we do things that creates problems, that creates sorrows, that creates griefs. So we either do more of the same to deal with it, or we go, that didn't work, let me try an even crazier thing. And we run from thing to thing to thing to thing. And Christ says, I came to fix the past so that we don't have to deal with all of these consequences. We don't have to deal with this struggle. Christ did not just come to deal with the sin itself, but to deal with the sorrows and the griefs that result from my really bad decisions. 
That's why he was a man of sorrow, because he came to fix people of sorrow. To know the man of sorrow is to understand that we are people of sorrow. That our causes and effects of our problem, they're just going to go in a cycle until someone fixes it. It's not all bad news. Isaiah 53 does not just contain awful descriptions of tragedy. So I want to see the good news this morning. So we close. Oh, I still forgot to edit that. It says he will prolong his days. He will see his seed, which is the church, by the way. And it says he will divide the portion. That's the one I really want to focus on. Divide the portion. What in the world is he talking about? Well, that's a reference to a war. Reference to a war. You would divide the spoils of war. Whoever was, you know, if, if you, you would, somebody else, you said, we've got these countries, we're going to go in, we're going to attack this country, and we're going to take what they have. They would split it up among, amongst the countries, right? Or cities back then, if smaller groups of people were attacking. Well, Christ came, defeated Satan, and divide the portion. What does Satan have that I want? What in the world did Christ possibly take from Satan that goes, you know what, we need to share this with everybody. I don't want anything that Satan has, do I? He has one thing. He has one thing that I want. And that's my destiny. Christ came and took my destiny and said, I got it. And I'm going to share that. That's what I want. It's the only thing that Satan ever had that I want. Let's go back to just a little bit more bad news. This is found in the New Testament. Because to know the man of sorrows is to share. And Christ came to take some suffering away. But there is just a little bit of bad news. It's good news, but bad news. First Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice. Good news. Rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That's not good news. So that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Okay, more, more good news. All right. Philippians 1.29 says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but should also suffer for His sake. That is a very ironic statement. It's been granted to you. You have this great opportunity. It's like a timeshare. Here's something you'll never be able to get rid of. It's going to cost you. This is useful, though. An opportunity to suffer. Rejoice. You have an opportunity to suffer. That's not in too many Sunday morning sermons. We like the, the nice, the free, the getting rid of, all of the, the bad and the negative, and that's gone. 
Make an easy decision. Come. This is the easiest decision you'll ever make. It's so wonderful. It's so nice. It's great. Rejoice. Inasmuch as you share in suffering. Because this great opportunity to suffer has been granted to you. That was what Christ came. Christ said, I can get rid of some suffering. I'm going to replace it. It's like a vacuum. Nature hates a vacuum. God says, I'm going to get some suffering out. We're going to put some suffering in its place. But rejoice, because this one, this one ends up good. So as we close, just a couple thoughts. What sorrows have I laid down? Have I been willing to lay down my suffering, my beating myself up over things that, that I, I've done in the past, or... Have I, I laid down the lifestyles, all of them, that continue to cause those things? And do I hold on to those things? Let's just lay it down. I died for it. I can get rid of it. I can get rid of that cycle. Not just the guilt before God of the sin, but the cycle that keeps on causing the problems. And get rid of it. What sorrows have I laid down? What sorrows have I picked up? Take up your cross and follow me. It's not a nice statement. It's a willing choice to suffer the way Christ suffered. Have you done anything, made any decisions that make life a little bit more difficult? Because of your Christianity. Has, has Christianity caused me to do anything that makes me step out of my comfort zone? If I've not been made uncomfortable, I haven't picked up any suffering. And I have not allowed myself to be connected to the man of sorrows.